Engage. This is, excuse me, a damn fine cup of coffee. I am the one who knocks. I'm Jessica K. Richards, and I'm an academic who studies television. I'm Ashley Zanter, and I'm an academic who works in cultural studies. And I'm Scott, and I'm the immortal Iron Fist, defender of Kunlung, sworn enemy of the hand. I'm the immortal Iron Fist, okay? I have a fist, and it's iron. It's an iron fist. It's the immortal Iron Fist. And this is Universal TV. Today on Universal TV, we're talking about The Defenders. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Netflix original, it takes Matt Murdock, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Danny Rand, the Hell's Kitchen heroes, as they come together to fight evil in the city of New York. Well, they they defend it. Whatever. Because they're the Defenders. So before we jump in and talk about The Defenders show, I think we should take just a couple minutes and talk about the four individual shows that feed into this mashup. So we've got Daredevil, which had two seasons, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist. And so of those four shows, what do you think the overarching themes are that sort of feed into this new show that we're going to be talking about? So I think in terms of themes, there's a definite thematic strength scale where some of them are much stronger. I'm thinking Jessica Jones and Luke Cage specifically. Jessica Jones talks a lot about being a survivor, being a victim, overcoming that, challenging your abuser. It's a lot about sexual assault and abuse and feeling helpless. Luke Cage is very political and woke, and it's all about it's a black man who's bulletproof in a hoodie. And especially when that came out, that was very important. That was very timely. And I think Daredevil, I really like Daredevil, but I'm not really sure I could pin down a theme on it. Justice is blind. I don't know. <laughs> and Iron Fist, Sorry. I'm not even really sure what happened in there. So I think thematically, I, I couldn't identify that. I don't know about either of you. So what about you, Jess? Well, so I think if you're talking about Daredevil, you know, there are a couple of different things that are going on there. W- one of the things that maybe is not as interesting, but I think that the show definitely pushes is uh, vigilanteism as okay. an addiction. Um, and sort of the way that they frame Matt Murdock, uh, it's a more traditional hero story, but it has a, a much darker element to it. Um, it's willing to push the violence. You know, I think it's it's sort of, uh, you know, people have been asking for rated R superhero movies for a really, really long time. And Daredevil was sort of one of the places where we see pushing that boundary right we we don't get Deadpool I mean was in the was in the wings waiting to come out but I think it was a step towards having that actual kinds of tangible really harsh violence a mature r-rated type you know it is an incredibly violent show and um and so and then Iron Fist of course uh which uh, this isn't anything new I think everybody who's seen the show has pretty much called it a disaster uh, but it seems to be talking pretty exclusively about, you know, white male privilege and how that intersects with contemporary problems and, and just generally, uh, like, discussions about masculinity and what the role is of a white male now uh, in sort of this world where we're having a lot of upheaval and, and discussion right. about that. See, well, I, I think it stumbled into that, though. I, I don't think any of that was intentional. I think they intended to be like, this is about lineage and where you come from and your father because we have the two fathers the rand and the uh what was his last name the main bad guy it's been so long i've forgotten it because mm. he's so forgettable <laughs> the 
Wayne? Yeah, we all forgot it. That's how forgettable of a show it was. <laughs> it's Harold Meacham. Oh, okay. Harold Meacham. Right, but yeah, so we've got Harold Meacham and then Daddy Rand. And I, it might be like, oh, what does your father give you? The shadow of your father over you. And I think that's what they were going for. But then it became just a bunch of appropriation and privilege. Well, but that's I think that's entirely the point of the show. And I don't know that it needs to be intentional. I think it's clear that Luke Cage was certainly intentional. And I think Jessica Jones was certainly intentional um, trying to talk about rape culture. But I don't know that the intentionality matters all that much when you're talking about TV. It's what's there, right? Yeah, it's, I would say, especially in Iron Fist, there's there's so much of a focus on the fact that Danny cannot seem to recognize his privilege as he's active like everything that he does is an exercise in white privilege and white male privilege to a certain extent uh, even when he just walks in the building and he's like this is mine you know it, it's it's you know he, the he sense of ownership exactly the entitlement that comes along with that and and the inability to recognize it as it's happening and the truth is we're just not that interested in it right but but like the show supports his claims it is his he does technically own it. A lawyer says he owns it. And then all the things he does ends up being the right thing to do. Well, and I think that that's where the show falls apart is it doesn't necessarily interrogate his privilege. It explores his privilege. And I don't know that that's necessarily So I think we're all sort of on the same page that Iron Fist ranks fourth out of four. But, <laughs> but I guess I'm mostly just curious uh, with the Defenders, because we have all of these individual pieces that seem to be dealing with very specific themes um, in, in very different kinds of ways, the way that they're approaching them what's the point of having a crossover like this is there value in it i don't think so yeah i would i mean i would agree with that i think the it, it was interesting i mean i i had anticipated and, and been really excited for the defenders for a long time but i had to get through iron fist which was not a pleasant experience and then you know by the time it rolled around all of the the tension that they'd sort of tried to build up to the show it just didn't it didn't satisfy me in a way that i had anticipated and so i was yeah. i felt a little bit let down just generally with with this particular one yeah. um it it was it was better than iron fist but it wasn't quite and I think it was partly because it couldn't marry all of those themes together. Right. It's sort of like, I think the metaphor I like is, it's like you went to an ice cream store and you like these four individual flavors, except the one that's not very good. We'll call that iron flavor. Um, <laughs> and you put all of those flavors together and you expect them to taste good, but there's no actual reason why they would. And I think when I think about what makes Jessica Jones great, I don't think Matt Murdock would have made that better. Right. Uh, right. I don't think. And obviously, like Luke Cage was in Jessica Jones story, but he was in there in relation to Jessica. It wasn't about his themes that the themes they explore individually are way more interesting than what they do together. Well, and I think it's really interesting because crossovers are such an integral part of superhero franchises. I mean, you know, you look at the MCU and, of course, just going back through comic book history and you have all of these characters that, I mean, that's always, there's always comes to a head with everybody bonding together um, and and fighting the, the big fight. Um, and so it's kind of interesting to me in this context because there's an absence of... A completion or a sense and it's weird because it's television so you'd actually think that this would be the perfect platform for a crossover mm -hmm. to kind of work itself out and figure out what it, it wants has a to lot be. of time right yeah exactly well it had almost it had eight hours yeah but that didn't feel enough 
Right. Well, and and it theoretically could have had as much space as it needed in order to be able to do that. And I don't know if it's just because these characters are so different from each other or because their shows were so incredibly specific. It wasn't just fighting for good justice in the American way. It was these very specific, very personal stories. Um, And and so when we get them all together, there are hints of that. There are places at the edge where we get the, the sense of those things. Like, I really loved Jessica Jones' approach to the whole situation throughout Defenders. I think that was, for me, the highlight uh, were, were her sort of quips and her thoughts about, you know, her- heroism and how stupid Daredevil looked <laughs> the whole time, you know, because that was just so uninteresting to her. She was uh-huh. she right. was uninterested. Right, and her character stayed there. I think in contrast with that, I think Daredevil himself, Matt Murdock, was really uninteresting. Because the whole time he's like, don't see my face. Don't see it. Please, don't look at my face. I And I actually thought, for me, he was the emotional core of the Defender. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it was successful. But mm-hmm. he certainly had, to me, the most interesting story arc. Danny Rand continued to be mopey and whiny the whole time. <laughs> Jessica Jones felt detached. And she was aware of how she was detached. And Luke Cage was like, I like punching stuff. Right, but I, I don't know that... I was really interested in Daredevil storyline because it's a total ripoff of Iron Man. It's a guy who doesn't want to get involved, who gets called out by his peers, and then he sacrifices himself to be involved, but not really. See, for me, I think it's more about the allure of it, the allure of power and and the violence that's sort of inherent in Matt Murdock's character and the guilt that he feels about that feels about that violence. Sure. But I guess Oh, Ashley, go ahead. No, I was going to say, just to sort of hone in on on what the Defenders might be trying to do here. So if Daredevil is about addiction and vigilanteism, Jessica Jones is about rape culture and survivorhood, uh, Luke Cage is about being woke and, like, the being a black American and and, and, community. and Iron Fist is about privilege or entitlement or however you want to categorize that one. What is the Defenders then? I mean, if you put all of those things together, did anything new or a value come out of this? Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> uh, Sigourney Weaver's outfits. I don't think she's that interesting <laughs> as a villain, but I think her outfit, I would watch Matt Murdock beat up her outfits. Just to see what would happen. They're beautiful. <laughs> I So I actually found, I thought she was, and this this was consistently how I felt about it. So maybe this gives you an, a good indication of like where I sat in the whole Defenders debate. But I consistently found the five fingers of the hand to be way more interesting than any of our Defenders. I oh. was rooting by like midway through, I was rooting for them. <laughs> which I don't think is an indication of the success of the show, because I'm pretty sure I shouldn't be more interested in them than I was in our people. What does that say about you? I don't know exactly. Rooting for the terrorist evil I organization. They, I mean, for me, th- there was a lot of appeal there. You know, there was a really intelligent, mm-hmm. you know, um, fascinating people who had lived for e- eons and who were trying to fight off death. Super cool, dude. Sure. So they killed a lot of people, which, you know, not yeah. great. Yeah, oh, well, you know, drop in the bucket, right? I just, I, I found them and some of their mystery and intrigue to be generally more interesting than, you know, the scenes with Danny Rand and Colleen right. ever were. But I think the problem is, and I want to talk a little bit about the hand in general, because, and this goes back to why the shows, with the exception of Iron Fist, work a lot better is that Kingpin in Daredevil is a fascinating villain. I agree. The Punisher is a fascinating sort of villain. Uh, 
Cottonmouth Kill is great. Kilgrave. They all have really fascinating villains that have emotional stakes and almost terrify you and charm you and entrance you. Uh, but whenever we deal with the Hand, they're sort of this faceless organization. And the Defender's problem is that when they come into it, they're all fighting this organization. They're not fighting oppression. They're not fighting you know, their own addiction. They're not fighting privilege. They're not fighting you know, the abuse. They're not dealing with a theme and showing how these characters all deal with the central theme. Like, hey, what if they all had to deal with a terrorist attack in New York and how that trauma exists as New Yorkers? It's, well, we have to fight these ninjas and we're all going to fight these ninjas in our own way and it's going to look really cool. And that's why The Defenders, while a very good looking show and a fun show, ceases to have what those previous Marvel shows has, which is a fascinating and intoxicating narrative that draws you in and makes you feel like it's a superhero show, but it's more important than that. Mm-hmm. When even the Avengers, Joss Whedon's Avengers, does that same thing, right? You know, you point out that that, that show, you know, is a story about New York and about New York not being able to anticipate events and how that has an impact and the fallout after that. And part of what's interesting about the way that the... The Defenders works, or at least the shows that lead up to it, is that we keep intersecting with the larger MCU universe. Mm -hmm. And in this one, it just felt really like the stakes didn't ever feel that high to me. I was never um, even Daredevil's sort of I guess I, I never found Elektra to be a very compelling character. Um, and so what's her full name, Jessica? I. Electra nachos. No. <laughs> yeah. So Electra cheesy gordita nachos. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I thought of every time they said her last name. Uh, nachos. 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 It's Greek. Yes, it is, and it was confusing to me. Uh, and so I just could never take her seriously, especially you know when she would just say the whole, mm-hmm. her whole name. Uh, <laughs> I, f- I found that distracting. Um. And so, I, you know, it was, it wasn't, she wasn't that interesting to me. Um, and so when she kills Sigourney Weaver and we end up having to watch her do the last couple of episodes on her own, I was kind of like, oh, darn it. You know, I, it was a bummer. Yeah, I didn't get why Matt liked her so much. Mm. It's like, cool. This was an ex-girlfriend who kind of ruined your life. You have Karen right there. Okay. Go to Karen. But I also hate Karen. So that's <laughs> all the women in Daredevil really bother me. And I, I think you Even know, Claire? Because she's in everything. I, I, For some weird reason, that one New Yorker is in everything. Yeah, I like Claire all right for the most part. Um it's interesting because there are a lot of really compelling female characters in Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. And you have these really interesting, complicated relationships between between women, and I think they did that pretty well in Iron Fist as well. You know, Colleen and Claire kind of get along with each other and talk with each other all the way through. Um, and with Daredevil, you have, it's that same addiction narrative, right? It's the junkies that are in love with each other who constantly encourage abusive, negative behaviors and sort of are in their own world, right? And so we see that with Electra, And I guess I just didn't find that compelling. It, it, they never made it clear to me what it was about that that was so alluring um, as we get her story. And so I feel like we we end up in a very traditional narrative with not very many interesting things happening. And at the end of the story, I don't know what any of her if defenders, I don't know what any of her motivations are. 
Well, and I think to a certain extent, when you look at the defenders, especially in comparison with things like Jessica Jones and Luke Cage that really kind of try to reinvent what the superhero is, like Scott said earlier, it's a superhero show, but it's more important than that. This sort of um, downgrades itself to just a superhero show. It's full of cliches. Uh, it's, you know, the the uh, it's a group of of individuals who are very sort of isolated. They don't, and, and they're isolated for their own reasons that make sense, but isolated nonetheless. And they don't want to team up and then they team up, but there's going to be clashes, but then they, there's the greater good that forces them all to, to get over themselves and, you know, fight the bad guy. And it seems very contrived to me. Yeah, I agree. It, it, it was definitely, it was like, uh, cause you had talked about earlier, off the podcast because we exist outside of here uh that they had planned the defenders even before they they did daredevil Mm -hmm. so they've always planned on these four individuals getting together and fighting nefarious forces so it doesn't matter what happened in those individual shows it was well they're gonna get together so you just have to and it is it does feel forced well, and I think the show's just a little too meta for its own good. You know, <laughs> one of the things that I think is really confusing for it, in current contemporary television is that meta narratives are often considered to be the most clever um, kind of storytelling. You know, when you're, their characters themselves are aware of the story mechanisms and the narrative that mm-hmm. exist within their own. And for me, in this particular show, that got really tired pretty quickly, and it didn't necessarily trans. It wasn't transcendent or uh, give us a sense of awareness that was interesting to me. And so I think that's another part of the problem that we see with the defenders: um, th- the fact that half of the time they're tearing down each other. Um, you know, as much as I enjoyed the jokes about Daredevil's suit. By the time by the time we finished, I kept look sitting there going like he does look stupid. He looks stupid in that suit. Why am I watching him do this? How was this cool? You know, uh, I I had that experience. His suit is awesome. I am sorry. But that's that's the <laughs> point is that in Daredevil it was it was so great, and then they spend half the time ridiculing him in the Defenders, and by the time we get to like the last scene, you're like. He does kind of look dumb standing next to them, right. you know? We do lose, I think, a, a bit of the impact. So we already mentioned it earlier, but Daredevil dies, air quotes, uh, at the end. He sacrifices himself, or not really, he kind of stays behind with Electra. He's I'm not leaving her. And so everyone thinks he's dead, and then he shows up, you know, in a hospital bed in, like, a monastery for some weird reason. And... Because you can't have a franchise if he's dead. Basically. <laughs> How will we do Daredevil season three? Okay. Straight up though, Foggy Nelson taking over as Daredevil for season three. I would watch that ten times in a row. <laughs> but anyway, we lose a lot of the impact because they're all sad. And obviously mm-hmm. Karen and Foggy are the saddest of the sad people. But his compatriots are as well. I'm just like, you guys have known each other for like two days. And like, yeah, I'd be like, kind of like, wow, someone just died that I've known for two days. But I wouldn't be super heartbroken. Well, and you mentioned earlier, Jess, that uh, it seems like Matt Murdock, the Daredevil, is the emotional core of the show. And and there is sort of that heart-wrenching bit at the end where they try to elicit some emotion in order to, like, punch you in the gut. I'm not sure exactly what it was trying to do. Maybe you can let me know. But does it work? I, I, I didn't, I mean, I knew he was alive. I, it, it felt false. I felt it didn't yeah. ever ring. I didn't get emotional at the end of the show because I knew he had to have survived. I think one of the things that is potentially interesting about the way that the show wraps 
itself up. And I'm not really sure what they were going for here either. But the idea of a bunch of New Yorkers standing around debating how they're going to bring a building down. And in fact, the, the imagery of like demolishing a building in New York, the yeah. way that it was demolished, it's sort of weird. Yeah, right? that was actually probably the most fascinating scene in the show is talking about like, no, you can't blow up a building in New York. Yeah, and and the consequences for them because like where are we supposed to be in that conflict, right? Are how are we supposed to evaluate their behavior? Are these a bunch of fanatics? Like, is this an act of terrorism to some extent? You know, isn't this the same kind of extremism that you see with uh, with people who are trying to fight against a particular set of beliefs that they disagree with, right? Isn't that a in some extent a, like a type of crazy terrorism? And so it was yeah. interesting to kind of put our heroes very specifically in that situation. Um, and they were talking about it in terms of the greater good. And I, I thought that that was kind of odd. Well, I think some of them, especially Daredevil, deal with the idea of when do you cross the line from hero into villain, right? And that vigilante justice. Jessica Jones doesn't really deal with that. Luke Cage is a, it does a little bit with, are you a community hero? Are you a criminal? Are you a thug? But eventually comes out on top. And Danny Rand's just kung fu. Right. I want to say something nice about Iron Fist. They made his hand glow real good. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah, I can't I, I can't really think of anything that goes well in that show. I mean, half of his lines are like clearly mansplaining, which is just irritating. Well, Jessica, what they were intending to do there, well, actually. <laughs> um, well, and the other half were, I am Iron Fist. So, yeah. uh, I am the immortal Iron Fist. No, no, I'm the immortal Iron Fist. <laughs> Didn't you hear earlier? Uh, well, I want to backtrack just a little bit to something I think is interesting. Because sometimes we talk about tropes. And I want to talk a little bit about superhero death. Because obviously, we talk about, like, we lose the impact. Because none of us, you know, raise hands, none of us here thought that he was really dead. Like, and we all know Justice League movie is about to come out. We all know Superman's not dead. He can't be dead. He's only been in two movies. I'm pretty sure. And even now, we know they signed contracts for like six movies. Tony Stark wasn't dead. I mean, I'm trying to think like Coulson from Marvel, the Avengers movie is on Age of S.H.I.E.L.D. He wasn't dead. Does anyone actually die? And so when they die, does it, it's just sort of fake and dumb. Is it a cheap emotional punch? Totally. 100%. Right. Well, so I think the death we were really supposed to be upset about was stick. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just I'm just saying I think th- there are times when death sticks. In, in, <laughs> Jesus, Jessica. <laughs> no, no. The great thing is that I I really want to believe in my heart of hearts that that was accidental. Because that makes it so much better. Yeah. Well, okay. So, but it, it does, there are times when it is meaningful and important. And it is part of the superhero genre that people are resurrected, you know, right. and in fantasy, in mm-hmm. generally speaking, right? Like half of the shows on television right now have people coming back miraculously yeah. from the dead or not being dead in the first place and suddenly being able to climb out from a pile of bodies and go like, I, I'm fine. Should we start learning our lesson? Should we stop just... 
let's stop pretend killing them off because we all know it's pretend. I don't think, right. I think that these are tropes that are like the bread and butter of television. I don't okay. think that that's, I mean, it's like, it's the same thing as amnesia or mystical <laughs> pregnancy or cancer. We're never going to be able to eradicate these kinds of tropes from our television. So, Well, not with that attitude. <laughs> like, we, we can absolutely, if we expect TV to be better and smarter, then we expect you to either say, like, cool, we're not going to fake kill them. We can put them in danger, but we're not going to, like, try and fake you but out. But then there's no, and that's part of it, too, is, like, there's no risk. Well, then just kill them. That's how you create real risk. I mean, that's what... Actually get, just murder one of them and yeah. let it be done. Well, that's that's the whole thing about Game of Thrones, right? Game of Thrones' whole penchant was like, hey, cool, here's a main character. It's the first season of, like, nine. Chop. Cool. <laughs> dead. I mean, you all called that. Hey, here's your fantasy... <laughs> Good-looking heroes. Hey, wait. Baby. Hey, wait. Let's not spoil Game of Thrones. This was like five years ago. Yeah. It, I know the Red it Wedding is, is a big... I know it is, but let's just... Dead. No! <laughs> Don't that. That is so... Oh, I hate that. I really... Okay. It's at school. It's fine. Okay. okay. Anyway. So are, you, are you guys ready right for now? my amazing segue? Yes. yes. Let's hear the amazing. Speaking of the world and things in it. <laughs> wow. I, wanted to talk, I just wanted to talk really quick. We've been chatting about superheroes, specifically how they should be better on television than they are in movies, because the amount of time you have to actually create worlds and invest in character is so much longer, right? It's not even a two and a half hour movie. It's not a long movie. It's eight hours. It's 10 hours of stuff, right? Right. But one of the complaints uh, that I've seen online lobbed against a lot of Marvel TV shows is the pacing that they can't seem to figure out the pacing. Things are too long. They're too drawn out. There's too much exposition. There's not enough exposition. What did you guys think about the pacing in Defenders? Did you have an example of that? Like a scene that you felt like was so too long? In Defenders, the the main th- pro- problem that I've, I have is that it's called the Defenders. We all know that these four people are going to come together to defend, as Scott so uh, aptly pointed out at the beginning of this podcast, not to avenge. You're to defend and it takes them till the end of the third episode to actually band together and then they kind of don't really did we need three episodes no for them to figure like they're out of eight to figure out that they were going to end up together see i think you do that at the end episode one yeah that's what i was expecting i think you have four people and you do four storylines and they all have end up at the same place because they're all dealing with it and they're like, oh, cool. Now we as a group will deal with the next seven episodes worth of crap. I can see the argument for postponing that gratification. So I'm going to I I probably disagree with you guys about okay. that. But I think I think that for me, one of the things I actually really loved about Jessica Jones, uh, particularly was were those like awkward pauses in the narrative to just do character stuff like one of the things that that I so if you watch some of the DC stuff that's on TV right now, it's like the Flash or Arrow or any of those shows, right? There, it's all about you know the, the very typical kind of superhero fare that you get, where you know great villain, everything is all about plot, and there's not really a lot that has to do with character. And in Jessica Jones, you have these really fascinating moments where there's just a pause in the narrative. And people get to talk with each other or we spend time um, with them specifically in order to get a sense of it. And that makes the personal weight of the narrative so much more interesting. I don't think I, I don't think we're disagreeing here. 
that's important. And that would be fine if defenders had character moments in lieu of bad pacing, but they don't. Jessica Jones is what Jessica Jones is, a swarthy, uh, alcoholic, badass chick who lifts cars up and punches dudes in the balls from day one. Like, that's the opening scene. We know who she is, and we get to see her do cool stuff. And uh, when she has those character moments, it's really satisfying. It's okay to put off plot. But in Defenders, and I'll use this Daredevil example, Daredevil takes to the last episode to get his super badass suit I've been waiting for the entire time. And it's kind of satisfying, but I also only get like four minutes with it when I wanted like a couple episodes. And I'm coming to the Defenders wanting the Defenders to be together and have interesting character moments after they're together, not before. Because it just is frustrating of like, it feels like they're drawing it out longer than they naturally would just to be like, uh, a little bit of a tease. Yeah, and I think that the stories at this point are... And part part of the, you know, it seemed like these guys were working really, really hard to justify the reasons the narrative existed this way, right? They were trying to take their time to go like, hey, we aren't just pulling some crappy crossover crap. We are actually making this story make sense and tying those plot lines together in a way that that there is thematic value. Uh, I don't know that they do that as successfully as they would have liked, but I can see that in for me there's enough good intention there that I wouldn't want to take that away because I think of the crossovers I've seen, this one does the best job at explaining why everyone is participating, even if it's kind of boring. So do you think it has thematic value then? Because we kind of touched on this earlier in the podcast and it seemed like we were all kind of shrugging a little bit. I I don't know that if it justified its own existence at this point. Okay. I, I can't see, but I also am interested to see, you know, some of these plot lines, some of the stories that we've looked at. I th- I think if you look at Luke Cage and you look at Jessica Jones, they were entire stories, you know, one season that was so self-contained, it could stand on its own. And as the shows move into and we have different seasons that sort of take on all these issues, it'll be interesting to see, like, what's Jessica Jones' next problem? What's her next issue? Because Mm -hmm. she sort of wrapped that up and dealt with it. And now, you know, what do we do now? And so I think that that's partly what's interesting to me about about moving forward in this arc is to try and find its feet again. That's what it felt like to me. It was just kind of floundering. People were... uh, not as interesting as they had been in the past. Mm-hmm. I'd agree. So that that was the whole they had they had done such a good job at making those uh, those seasons self-contained that I was sort of going like why are we here and why are we revisiting okay. these same themes again? You worked so hard to get them done um in the past. Yeah, I can agree with that. I think that's fair. So sort of to to pull this all together, I mean, what grade would you guys give the defenders? C. Why? So my thought is, if I think about what a C is, it's a failure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, uh, growing up, it was an A or it was not. It was a failure. That's how I, always how I treated grades. Um, but anyway, uh, so it's a C because it, it, it passes. It does some fun stuff. It is cool. It, it's visually very interesting. The fight's well done. It just it doesn't do anything exceptional. It's middling. It's average. It's a C. Yeah, I'd say the same for me. I think it was pretty bland. Um, I might give it like a B minus. Um, okay. 
But because there are a couple of moments that I think do stand out to me, um, I didn't think the fighting was nearly as interesting as what we've seen in Daredevil. I mean, yeah. that, yeah. like, the choreography in Daredevil is so astounding. And we didn't get the emotional depth of Jessica Jones, and we didn't get the sort of social commentary that we got with Luke Cage. And it was all about Iron Fist, and that sucks. So, so <laughs> but that, he's the immortal Iron Fist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so for me, I think probably in that space, I mm-hmm. I was my, I was pretty dis- I was kind of disappointed yeah. with this one. Well, I was going to give it a C plus anyway, so I guess it's it's appropriate that I went last. So just there you pull, go. pull you two together. Right. right. Happy middle. No, I mean, like I like Scott said earlier, I think that it does the thing. Right. It, it was the Defenders. We got all four of these characters back. We got to see the way that they interacted, which is was sort of most of the currency, I think, of a show like Defenders is seeing how Kristen Ritter shows up and interacts with Iron she's Fist. She's so cool. Yeah, she's so cool. She's the best part. <laughs> but, you know, everybody wanted to see how Jessica Jones was going to deal with uh, Danny Rand. Like, you just want to know how that's going to go. You see it. It's kind of satisfying. And then you move on with your life. And uh, I, this was sort of just something to tide us over until Jessica Jones season two comes out i think yeah for me mm-hmm. or any of the other i mean uh, independently any of them i think i'm interested you want iron, in fist, iron too. fist i hope <laughs> they can fix it that's my i'm that curious to see if they can fix it i don't know how they're going to correct that now that there's been such a big backlash against that part of the story i'll be interested mm-hmm. to see from a development standpoint how they pull that out right and it's actually interesting because yeah, most time if a show's not performing they'll just cancel it but when it's woven into other yeah. shows that are successful, you can't let it die. Yeah, do you do you sort of like have this like dying appendage on the side? <laughs> well, we can't cut it off because the other arm will look weird. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, so it'll be interesting to me to see to see how they handle that. So, well, we all seem kind of disappointed by the defenders, but did you watch anything else this week that made you feel maybe just a little bit better? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, Scott. <laughs> okay, I'm so happy because the Good Place season two has been out, and I've been watching it. I watched the most recent episode today, and it's great. And I was really worried about where they were going to take it because season one ends in such an interesting way that I was like, cool, I don't know what they're going to do. And I think the direction they've taken the show is fresh and a new take from the first season, but has all the same stuff that makes it great. And it's charming and hilarious, and I love it deeply and... I don't know that it could replace Parks and Rec in my heart, but it definitely (laughs) is better than The Office in my mind and is one of my favorite shows on TV right now. I think, yeah, it's just so incredibly... I've been watching it too, and it's so jam-packed full of great... I mean, the lines, there's just never... They don't waste any time in that show. It's it's joke after joke (laughs) after joke after joke, and I I love it. I find it so, so happy and amusing clam chowder is just steamy ocean milk with bugs in it Ah, <laughs> so gross yeah so it's it's fascinating i think it's and i'm so happy that it paid off i was so worried about it after we finished the first season because i really enjoyed it so um yeah that was great i watched mind hunter oh god yeah so uh i watched it partly because i kind of do crime television stuff on you know it's one of my areas uh or folk foci and uh so i i paid a lot of attention to that uh the it was gross that's my that's my whole feeling about it it's really gross 
And it's gross, like, within the first five minutes of it. You turn on the episode, and it, it does that thing that Netflix does where they're like, by the way, we're Netflix! And there's nudity and also sex and death five minutes into the show. They're just, just so you know. smack you across the face with it. Netflix, right? <laughs> Phrasing. Ew. Yeah. So, so it was really intense, and it, it didn't stop being intense. I still don't know how I feel about it. Okay. So, uh, watch with caution is okay. my my current prevailing opinion about that show. You know, I have a friend who was on that show. Oh, really? Yeah. Austin Archer. He's a great actor. Look out for him, folks. So, I watched the second season, uh, first couple episodes of Superstore, uh, which is so, so good. Is it? I want to start it. Oh, it's it. so good. So, uh, America Ferreira is the main character in there. You might recognize her from uh, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. But it's basically about this group of people who work at a store called Cloud Nine, which is just a thinly veiled Walmart. And in, in, they're, they're in the middle of the Midwest. And... I, I know it's just, you could chalk it up to just another workplace comedy, because uh, they're all at work. That's how these people know each other. But the way that they handle the character development is so good that I just really think it's worth checking out. Cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Good talk. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for joining us on Universe of TV this week. I'm Jessica K. Richards. I'm Ashley Zanter. And I'm the Immortal Iron Fist. And this is Universe of TV. <laughs> also, I'm the Immortal Iron Fist. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure to check us out on Facebook or Twitter by liking us at University TV Podcast, or you can email us at University TV Podcast at gmail.com with your recommendations for future episodes. Hey guys, Scott here. I just wanted to throw a little addendum at the end of this episode. It was brought to my attention that earlier in the episode when I was talking about Sigourney Weaver's character, that it might have sounded like I don't like Scorny Weaver. I love Scorny Weaver. I think she's a great actress. Really appreciate her work. I just really hate her character because once again, I am the immortal Iron Fist, defender of Kan Lung, sworn enemy of the hand. I'm immortal. I have an Iron Fist. It's not that complicated. Why well, I have to keep telling you guys. All right. Have a great day. <laughs>